quite an honor and kind of a, a fearsome task to address this great person, Martin Luther King, who was in fact now an Episcopal saint. His life and legacy is in unbelievably strong. I've been listening to a book, a story, a dialogue between Desmond Tutu and <clears throat> the Dalai Lama called The Book of Hope. Both the Buddhist Lama and the Christian Bishop speak highly of the compassion and the essence of what Martin Luther King represented to our world and community. When we look at the gospel lesson this morning, asking us to do some strange things, to love those who harm us or hate us, to be able to extend ourselves to others who in fact deceit and fail to love us, to open our love to one another without expecting any return. This is, in fact, a perfect example of who the person Martin Luther King was. What an integrity-filled individual to have such compassion for others that he, preaching in his one great story, I Have a Dream. The words the concentration, the focus of what he shared in that vision of the dream should have changed and helped us to become more open to the God of love and the empowerment of all people, regardless of whether they're hateful or angry or upset. It becomes a real challenge for us today because we have fallen back into separation. We have fallen back into sinfulness with one another. We have given ourselves over to anger and frustration. And we've separated ourselves from others. Instead of doing exactly the opposite we were called to do. To sit at the table together. All of us. It's different some worthy, some very unworthy, but all worthy of God's love. This was the message of Martin Luther King. I remember how I had to make a transition from a culture that was very limiting and very narrow-minded. Unfortunately, the word buffalo today has that kind of image. But I was born outside of buffalo but had all of the hanging on of kinds of cultural misunderstanding and indifference to one another. And it wasn't a, until I went to college, I went to a small school, Baldwin-Wallace College outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And there I found that education and growth and experience and hopefully seeking some sense of wisdom would be a guide. The 
the greatest gift to me at that time was to be recruited to join a fraternity which I had no desire whatsoever to be a member. Joe Carter happened to be the center of our football team, which I played on. And he talked to me about coming together with a sense of seeking to be better people and better men. He happened to be black. I struggled with him. We had a dialogue that was somewhat ridiculous when I look back on it. Because I had all these little questions and I would knew that in his presence there was something going on with me, not him. When I became a member of the fraternity, I found out that our charter was the first open charter in the United States. The fraternity was open to anyone except women. Unfortunately. I immediately found a friend in Robert Woodall, a classmate, happened to be black. Robert was an interesting character. He was from East Cleveland and he was a warlord for a while until he realized that his life was at risk. He wound up caddying on a golf course and the gentleman that he was a regular caddy for said, Bob, why are you wasting your life being a caddy, why don't you do, why don't you go to school? And Bob confessed. Well, I took an IQ test when I was in school, and I'm just above an idiot. The golfer looks at him and says, that's crazy. He said, you are much smarter than you think you are. And I'm going to lay down a challenge. I'm going to pay for two quarters of school at Baldwin Wallace College. And if you complete them with a 3.5, you don't have to worry about SATs or all of those other things. You're automatically accepted at this college. Bob said, I really struggle with this. And he said, what happens if I run into trouble? He said, you just call me and I'll make sure that we, you have a tutor to get through. Bob transferred in with a 3.75. We played football together. He was on the defense and I was on the offense. We traveled together. We talked a lot. And I suddenly became aware of how limiting my ability to be a friend was because of my stereotypes and what I had been taught and heard where I grew up. And I mentioned this one other time in the sermon that what I found was that I had six fraternity brothers that happened to be African American. One was actually African African. And what I found was that there was no stereotype that fit any one of them. And when I realized this, I also realized that our 
differences and our variety of being who we are was a blessing. And it didn't need to separate us, but rather became a unique way to bond with one another. Bob talked a lot about Martin Luther King. And thank God he did. Because I had to learn to see Martin Luther King from a different vantage point. Not from where I was when I was in high school, where racism and separation were rampant, but not talked about. And suddenly I became aware that there was this openness to being a friend, a real close friend with someone who would have been considered not willing, not able to go home with me. Bobby was quite interesting and he had a great sense of humor. As a matter of fact, when we were taking anthropology class, one of the expressions that our professor was trying to get across is the number of cultures that have unique things that in fact are seen and visually accepted as very positive. So we went through a series of slides, including the elongated mouth and all of these things from various cultures. And finally, the professor showed this picture of a woman who had a buttocks that stuck out. And he says, this in this particular tribe is a sign of great beauty. Bob jumped up, said, I knew I was beautiful. I knew I was beautiful. In class, the professor thanked him because he said, that's true. A lot of us look at the things that we have as disability. And many times we don't honor what in fact is our ability. He and I did a lot of other things together, sometimes fun things, sometimes frightening things. And I remember going to his house in East Cleveland after the riots in Buffalo and Cleveland, 60, 68. And I remember walking down the street and it was like any place that I've ever been in Buffalo. And I met his mother and she was so wonderful and he explained to me at that time, he said, you know, we, weren't, we don't auto automatically know how to dance. I want you to get this. He said, my mother turns on the music and we all have to dance. He said, my mother made sure I knew how to dance. He said, so it's not something that's frightening. And she was the most beautiful person and wonderful mother because he had been adopted. When we walked to the end of the street, the war-torn area from the riots that summer was still visible. And I rode on a bus. We were going to see a basketball game where my fiancé was a cheerleader. And it was the first time I've ever experienced being on a bus the only white person on the bus. And what was interesting to me is the number of people that came up and said, Woody, how are you doing? I haven't seen you around in a long time. Who's this guy? And 
would you introduce me? And I would be invited to parties. Just challenge me to a cold. Woody went on and finished his master's degree and became, uh, actually ran for uh, U.S. Congress out of Cleveland. And he came, became a part of the criminal justice system and parole. He said, you know, Skip, the first time I had someone in my office, he looked at me and he said, Woody, how did you get to be here? He said, because I'm smart and you're not too smart. <laughs> this is the same person that he shot with a zip gun earlier on in the butt. What I remember, though, is the valuable lessons I learned in, this, in the openness of his heart to everyone. He could cause laughter in an instant, whether we were stumbling through a football game or afterwards at the burger joint because we got two-for-one burgers as a result of the game. To me, he opened my eyes, and therefore, I could begin to see and understand and actually find that Martin Luther King spoke the gospel. The gospel of Luke really deals with what he is claiming us and asking us to do. It's to be open to those who are in opposition. Be open to us who are separated from us. To be caring people. And the thing that Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama said, his sense of compassion to all was one of the key cornerstones of his ministry. So in a day today, like the world we have now inherited, which unfortunately has gone back to separation, has gone back to anger, and retreatment from one another to separate us based upon our Semitic or ethnic lines to make us see a separation as opposed to a coming together of sitting at the table together rejoicing in God's presence rejoicing in the power and the ministry of love if we are to do anything with this day, we are to step forward and start becoming more courageous about our faith, expressing our cares and compassion to one another, to opening ourselves to those who, in fact, may be distasteful or upsetting or angry or whatever, but to make an effort to become one of God's loved people. We cannot do unto ourselves what we don't do with others. We have to come together and we have to unite around the principles of a person who gave us hope. May we become people of hope today.